All right, it's the Ruben J Show, and uh, you already know I got somebody special this week. Um, I'm super excited to be talking to this gentleman right here. He's an author, he's a pastor, he's a social media influencer, he's a radio host, he's got a whole bunch of stuff going on. Uh, please welcome to the show, Mr. Bobby Conway. How you doing? Doing good, Ruben. Thanks for having me on, bro. Thanks for thanks for doing this, man. I, we we uh, this came together pretty quickly, and I appreciate you being so quick uh, to respond to me on that as well. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I love about, about Bobby, I'm gonna talk about him like he's not here for a second is, uh, <laughs> during back in 2019, early 2020, I was working, uh, for a, a California Christian radio station called K wave, which, uh, houses the nationally syndicated pastor's perspective program. And Bobby came in, uh, about in the middle of my run at K wave and was super cool to me, super down to earth. Uh, and was willing to answer all the questions I had about everything, you know, uh, gave me a bunch of his, refused to take my money. I don't know if you remember this. I wanted to buy <laughs> books from him and he refused to take my money <laughs> and he just gave me the books. Um, and so ever since then, I've really just wanted to sit down and chat with you about, um, just kind of what got you to where you're at today, because mm. I, I think that you're just who you are and what you've done uh, in your in your life is just super incredible. So that's where I'm going to start. Is mm. tell me a little bit about you know what brought you to being uh, somebody who you know formerly known as the one minute apologist, uh, but now Christianity still makes sense as the new branding. Um, what got you to the point where you were doing these these videos where you were you know doing these one minute ish videos, kind of explaining uh, you know. <clears throat> Christianity like, like, like how did you get to that point yeah well you know Ruben uh when I started the YouTube channel one minute apologists back in 2009 I didn't have a clue what YouTube was uh, I really give the credit to uh Kevin Peoples uh who is a friend and film director today of uh some different Christian movies uh he just had an eye for technology I had the idea of creating short videos, uh, maybe in a black and white kind of context where I'm just giving credible answers to curious questions. I wish I would have known what these young uh, kids know today uh, as it relates to algorithms and all of that back then, uh, because uh, we really could have done something special uh, with that. I mean, it still was used in great ways and God blessed it, but I mean, it could have been so much more had I known how to start properly. We were just figuring it out as we went. But the way that I got into apologetics was through evangelism. Back when I was in college, I had a burden uh, for uh, doing uh, outreach. And so I would go out to campuses, connect with people, get in gospel conversations, and get stumped constantly with questions that I didn't know the answer to. And so their questions became my study guide that the Holy Spirit would use in my life. And I started formulating um, answers to the questions. So it began as a tool to help me as an evangelist, as a young Christian. Then what happened, apologetics became a tool for me when I slipped into several years where I saw my faith deconstructing, but I hated my doubts. I wasn't looking to become a progressive Christian. I wasn't looking to move beyond the faith. I wanted answers to the questions, but my brain was producing questions faster than I could track the answers down. So I had to learn how to live with unanswered questions. I had to live with my finitude. And so that was tough. 
And so then the third uh, area of interest in helping shape me as an apologist uh, was being a pastor and wanting to make sure that the, the church is equipped to know how to uh, engage the culture around some of the big metaphysical questions that are asked today. And so I felt like apologetics, uh, it created a bad taste in many people's mouths long ago because of maybe the over black and white approach or the self-righteousness or arguing about every little thing. I really am passionate about offering a conversational apologetic that can help those be equipped who want to do evangelism, help those who are doubting, and help the church be equipped uh, as well to understand what their worldview is. And so I think that what I do with our ministry is provide that kind of help. That's awesome, man. And I, I've always thought that, like, you know, for the last, I think, at least since 2010, I felt that that pastors have underutilized social media, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I know, I know you're, you're, you just launched a church not too long ago. Um, but I've, I've always, you know, I, I feel like the church has just overall, um, not used social media to their advantage and they tend mm -hmm. to use it as a way to just feed, Hey, here's what's coming up in a couple of weeks. Here's the next sermon, you know, remember the potluck on, on, on Sunday night, all this stuff. And I, I looked through your YouTube channel when you first came to K wave. And I remember, uh, going through this and be like, this is what the church needs is going out there and answering these questions and being bold about, um, you know, our stances as a church and doing it in a way that, like you said, was conversational. Like I didn't, I never felt like when I watched your videos that I was listening to a dissertation or, you know, or a doctrinal level lecture. I felt like I was at a coffee shop listening to somebody talk at, you know, in a group setting. And it was mm. very conversational, and I've always appreciated that about you. Um, how you. how have you been able to, you know, as as it's become more popular to hate on people who preach the gospel and preach the truth? How have you been able to continuously put out this content without feeling attacked, or how do you navigate those attacks too? Because I think there are a lot of people who I think are young Christians who want to do something similar and put their faith out there and they get attacked the minute they say something as simple mm. as Jesus is the king of my life. How do you, how do you navigate that portion of your ministry? I don't spend a lot of time reading uh, what people say about my videos because <clears throat> I know that I'm going to have a lot of stuff that would trigger me probably. Right. So I go on and, I'd be like, what's this person talking about? Uh, so uh, ignorance is bliss uh, in that way for me, Ruben. I don't always I love that. Uh, go check that stuff out. Like uh, there's there's a lot of people in my life that are a lot more aware of what people are saying than I am. Um, now that is both foolish and wise. It's foolish because I remain ignorant, uh, but it's wise because it protects me from um, you know getting too worked up about stuff. Overall, though, I just anticipate that. So I don't feel like it really does fuel me. Um, I feel like for the most part, I just realize that no matter who you are, a, a Christian, even not a Christian, the moment you put your voice out there, you have critics. Mm -hmm. And so the quicker we accept that, the better off we're going to be. 
And as a guy that wants to please people, like I didn't wake up this morning. I don't want enemies. I don't want people listening to this uh, show that we're doing right now to, to not like me or to not like you. Uh, but I can't help that. And so uh, the danger is, is if we start living uh, for man's approval, then we'll start trying to control things, we'll be manipulative, uh, and all that just breeds insecurity in our life. And so I feel like one of the things that helps is just remembering my identity, knowing um, as much as I can ahead of time what the objections are, so I'm not shocked when people raise the objections. Sometimes people just like to be mean and curt uh, and really just try to see that as a commentary on themselves. Like people think that they're being like, you know, I'll got you here. And I go, you know, I just see that it's just so shallow because I wouldn't really want to jump on people's social media and just, you know, blast them and be mean for no reason. That's not helpful to anybody. So I think people are showing their own immaturity in that. But I will say, Ruben, if I was younger, um, it would be a lot harder for me in the social media realm uh, because when I was uh, in particular a teenager in my 20s, you know, that people-pleasing side uh, it was strong. Uh, God's really worked a lot of that out of me. I don't know that that would ever die. And um, I think it's okay to, you know, want people to uh, to connect with you. That that that's That's good. I mean, because that will help you to have some some EQ, some relational sensitivity that some people minimize, but not to the point of not being willing to say what needs to be said uh, and, and being silenced by it. So that's kind of how I work at it. I just realized the older I get, uh, the more secure I become in these type of things. And you realize you just get burned enough in life to know who your real friends are. And I just want to be a voice right now. I mean, we have so much absurdity going on in our culture today, Ruben, that we need people to come up. Like everybody's out of the closet except the Christian. <laughs> it's time to come out of the closet and be a voice. Like we all need to see where we are and stand together and quit fearing rejection. rejection. Jesus, I mean, he called his disciples that way constantly. And so I think People want to be bold, but maybe they don't feel good about the church they're in, or they don't think that there's a good overall vision for the church at large. Uh, they're worried about, hey, I'm going to get bold, but am I going to be alone in doing this? Or do, can I take people to my church and my pastor, uh, you know, be a man of conviction, stand up and preach the word? So sometimes the silence is extended because people don't have the right context when they get bold to bring people into. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I, I feel like you know, especially with, you know, the culture war, which I don't want to dive into, you know, too much here because, you know, that's not the purpose of, of this particular conversation. But, you know, I feel I feel bad for, for the everyday Christian whose heart just yearns to reach out to people and then just don't really know how to how to get them connected in any other way because they're, yeah. you know, their church may not be the strongest in, you know, actually calling out sin when there's sin in the church and, you know, or the pastor might only care about, you know, the, that Sunday morning sermon. And, and I, I, I agree. I think, like you said, it's time for the Christians to come out of the closet as a group and just boldly confess and, and profess the name of the Lord, you know, and that's right. a journey that I've been on, you know, the last year or so is like, how do I, how do I love people who, uh, how do I openly love people who hate me you know and hate what i stand for you know because it, it's a difficult conversation to have these conversations with people who 
you know, who are well-intentioned and want everyone to feel great, but because we believe in biological science, you know, we're the enemy mm. of, of the people. So it's an interesting, interesting place that we're, we're at. And, um, I, I want to pivot a little bit here and talk a little bit about, you know, you joining, you know, pastor's perspective a couple years ago in K wave and, and kind of what brought you to that particular point in time? Cause that, that was mm. an interesting pivot at the time. Cause I, I don't remember the gentleman's name who was doing it beforehand, but he was really well loved and well liked. And a yeah, lot of people Stewart. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people just weren't ready for that change at the time, you know. And yeah. I don't think there's ever a good time for a widely popular program to have a change in cast. You know, it's never, mm. never fun. But what brought you to to Pastor's perspective in K Wave? Yeah, and Don Stewart, what a great Christian man! I had the privilege of being on the program with him a couple of times when Pastor Brian Broderson was bringing uh, me in and just let me do some fill-ins. And so I really, uh, you know, appreciate what Don offered to pastor's perspective. I think uh, Brian uh, and I really hit it off uh, in our relationship. There was just some great uh, relational chemistry. And so one of the things that Brian was uh, thinking about was kind of the future of the program. And so Don had been on the show for several years at that point. And Brian was interested in kind of, uh, you know, building out a team. Uh, and I feel like philosophically, we were nicely aligned uh, on some of these things. Uh, and so uh, after uh, several months of just being a fill-in from time to time, uh, Lance at the radio show, uh, you know, offered me the job to be Brian's co-host. And so I was very humbled by that. Uh, I love working with Brian and Brian Perez and, and the other team. So uh, what uh, Pastor Brian has done is he's built out a fuller team where you've got, uh, you know, Tony Stewart, uh, Phil Metzger, Mike Chaddick, John Wong, uh, and myself. I'm kind of that consistent piece that's on each day. Uh, but Brian has done a lot of change as it relates to the program as a whole. And honestly, it's one of the highlights of my day. I just love uh, the program. I love the people. And I'm really humbled to be a part of it. Now, were you were you experienced in radio at all? Or is that your first time like doing that kind of yeah. consistently? Um, yeah, I, I was experienced uh, with radio, not having my own show but being an apologist with a national platform uh, before that afforded me the opportunity to be interviewed by uh, lots of different Christian apologists from Greg Kokel to Hank Hanegraaff to, uh, you know, Frank Turek. Uh, so I was on all kinds of different uh, radio shows, uh, Family Life Today, that gave me some time on that. Uh, but what's interesting, Ruben, about Pastor's Perspective is I used to listen to the program uh, when I was in seminary uh, at Dallas Theological in the early 2000s. And so I would drive to or drive home from work listening. And this was back when you even had like a, you know, you could still leverage the cassette tape and record. And man, I would do everything I could because I loved listening to these guys answer questions. And this is when Chuck Smith was on. And the last thing I ever thought is I would be sitting in, in that, you know, seat. And, and being a part of that. But in God's providence, I've always been drawn um, 
to answering questions. I have a very curious mind. I ask a lot of questions, um, almost obsessively so. So a lot of the books and stuff that I read through the years would be uh, books that would answer questions. And uh, But I also feel like there's an art to answering questions, a cadence to answering questions. In particular, in this culture, uh, we want to be able to converse with people where an apologetics and apologists tend to start with the defense right away. And I would rather be able to get to the defense, but look for a way to validate something if I can. Um, so if somebody asks a question, my tendency is not to give them an answer immediately. I'm more looking to connect with them because if they connect with me, I feel like they can digest my response better. So if somebody asks me a question about being gay, so to speak, and they're struggling with it, I would want to say something before just diving right into it, say, I'm sorry that you're struggling in this way. I'm sorry if you've been hurt by the church. Uh, I can't understand what it would feel like to have uh, same-sex attractions and to be told that I can't act out on that. Uh, you know, I can't imagine if the roles were reversed and it was wrong to act out on heterosexual relationships. So I'm sorry for that. Uh, at the same token, I don't want to compromise what I feel in my heart and in the word. Can I have the opportunity to share with you how it is that I feel like we can have a relationship together? And yet it doesn't mean we're going to agree necessarily, but can I hold to what I believe? Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to still love you even if you don't agree with me, but I would hope that you could see how I arrive here. And I think that at those kind of layups are much more fruitful than just jumping right in. Uh, so I think apologetics has to address the person, uh, uh, deal with the person, uh, not just give the propositions. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. And I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy the Brian, Brian, Bobby combo on, on pastor's perspective. Uh, I think you guys need to get another letter in there, you know, um, you know, maybe an R I'm just kidding. Another R. <laughs> yeah, an R. Um, so let's, let's pivot to your church now because a couple of years ago, I think in the middle of the pandemic, you, you announced that you uh, were moving across the country yeah. to, to start a church uh, image church. And uh, I know you guys are, are kind of, firing on all cylinders now it looks like from what i can see um tell me a little bit more about being called into into being you know a, a senior pastor uh, of your own church yeah well i did serve as a lead pastor for 14 years before i went to california i grew up in california and then i did a lot of my ministry in the south because my wife's from the south so i pastored out in north carolina uh for 14 years but when I went to California for a few years, it was nice just to decompress. Um, we had uh, experienced some tough times, literally burnt out on ministry. I had a relapse after nearly 23 years of sobriety. I mean, I was just hanging on. Uh, and I just felt like, and I need to resign, pull away from everything that's going on. And that's where Pastor Brian was so beautiful. Like, I mean, he just loved me, showed me so much grace. Uh, gave me opportunities and really was this kind-hearted shepherd in my life. Um, and I was having some space to heal. When COVID hit, um, you know, I really found myself thinking about the church again. I was kind of hurt and burned by the church, uh, leadership people in particular, and had to deal with some of that stuff, which took some time. Um, 
but what happened is Pastor Brian was having me preach some, and he said, you know, you need to be in the pulpit, Bobby. That's what God's gifted you to do, to preach God's word. And so my wife and kids, we would just be sitting in the hot tub in Southern California having conversations in COVID. What does the church need to look like in a post-COVID world? What are some things that we need to learn about what we've done wrong in ministry, uh, what we could do differently, how we could work better as a family. Um, and there was so much healing in our family, Ruben, during that time in California. Uh, and in watching Pastor Brian as a mentor, my boss, and as um, a friend, just model uh, compassion, humility, um, spirit-led leadership, I just found myself getting excited about the opportunity again. And so we felt like we had some unfinished work to do out here in Charlotte. And so we came out and we do the things that a church would typically do, but kind of our, our main distinctives at Image Church is we said in a post-COVID world, we really need to do something about the mental health crisis. And, uh, you know, my relapse was a part of my mental health crisis in my own life. And uh, my family knows what it's like together just we struggle with some mental health issues uh, each of us and we're open and real and raw about that and we felt like um you know what would it look like to kind of create that aa culture in a church uh where there's a lot of authenticity transparency uh, and we do what we can to help people so my wife and i created a mental health crash course that's produced through it right now media um we talk about it all the time and we're just trying to tell people that um you know everything's not always a moral issue like the church makes me sometimes it is mental health it's not always a mental health only like the culture makes it sometimes it's a moral issue uh, but we're not a shaming center we're a healing center we invite you here so that was a distinctive another distinctive we felt like in a post-covid world was our readiness to deal uh, with equipping the church with worldview. We know that there was all kinds of people walking away from the faith. And so we felt like the church isn't doing a good job at large in equipping people with apologetics. And we felt like if we do not start giving people answers, progressive Christianity is gonna get really, really large. And that's not good. And then thirdly, uh, diversity. Now, uh, ethnic diversity is one feature, which we're really excited about, you know, uh, seeing black and white and Asian and Hispanic be together, but young and old. Uh, so uh, the way this shakes out, for example, I'm teaching Discipleship University, which we launched last night. We're doing a series called Constructing a Case for Christianity. Why is that? Because that's part of one of our distinctives to equip people with apologetics. I've invited five teachers in the congregation to help me, an African-American male, an African-American female, a white female, and then two kids in their 20s, one being my son. So there's all kinds of diversity, but we're doing teamwork, equipping people for apologetics. We had 60 people on a Monday night come out to get trained in apologetics. It was just a great night. That's awesome. That's really yeah. awesome. And, and can I... Can I... Can I just zero in on on the first distinctive for for a second? Because I sure. I, I really feel like that's one of the biggest parts of 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 misunderstanding between leadership a lot of times and congregants. I I've heard story after story after story of people who are struggling with mental illness, clinical depression you know, uh, eating disorders, all these different things. And churches have found out that this person's struggling in some way, shape or form. 
And instead of coming in and supporting and being like, hey, let's 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 pray together. Let's look at scripture together. Let's let's make sure that we're here to counsel you when you need counseling. Here's some resources that we have. The church turns around and says something along the lines of you don't need that antidepressant. You don't you know, you just need to you just need to learn to eat. You just need to get out of the funk. You need to, you know, you need to listen to Jesus more, you know, all the kind of. I don't even know how to how to describe it, but these all it ends up doing is hurting the person who who's struggling because the person who's struggling feels like they're not a good enough Christian, and that's why they're dealing with depression or an eating disorder or whatever or these struggles. Um, for 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 you, if if and I do have a couple other pastors who listen to this, and and I hope that they can take some advice here. Do you have any advice for them for when somebody comes to them and says, "Hey, I'm dealing with this." with depression or whatever that, that mental, you know, capacity is, what advice do you have for them? Hmm. I do think sometimes as Christians, our moral meter is always ready to go off or our doctrinal meter. And there's wisdom in that, right? We want to be discerning about, you know, right and wrong. We want to be discerning about theology but we don't want to miss the person. We don't want to miss the ministry while we deliver our message. And so what I would say is realize that that's a person in front of you. And if that person has come to you, number one, they're already walking out in trust and trusting themselves to you. Don't take that lightly. Number two, realize they're probably already feeling quite a bit of shame and validate that. So I think about when I have my relapse, I mean, the panic, it was unbelievable. Like I, I, you know what I wish somebody would have done Ruben is just say something like this, Bobby, I can't imagine how you must be feeling having had a relapse after 23 years of sobriety. The shame's probably overwhelming. And yes, we need to address what caused that. And we'll tackle some of that stuff. But I just want you to know that we're going to walk with you through this. We love you. You're going to be safe with us. You know what I heard? Oh, we got to tell the body. We got to let the body know. We got to let the body know. And all that did was just create total panic. It was like, it was like, yes. I didn't argue with the fact that we need to let the body know, but if I had a pastor on staff that had a relapse, I wouldn't feel like I got to hurry up and rush and tell everybody in the community and tell the body. I, I, I would feel like there comes a place for that. I have to have the wisdom to know I've got a pastor that just had a relapse. And if he's an alcoholic, that can be deadly. Mm-hmm. That can, I could send him to the grave. Like if I'm not careful here, uh, they just operated with zero empathy and total left brain, logical, black and white, and dealt with it on a moral level. And it was agonizing. And it was but for the grace of God that he held me together. So I think that we want people to know that we're there for them. We love them. They're people. And we're we're going to deal with, if there's consequences that are coming here, we'll deal with that. But Let's not just meet the person with, here's the consequences. Let's meet them with, let's remember the gospel together. And and let's remember that, you know what, someday I might need that. What made my 
relapse so painful is it was unthinkable to me, Ruben. I, I, I would sit there and I go, I can't imagine a staff person coming to me uh, and just freaking out the way that they did. I just can't even imagine it. It would just be like, I, I would get that we have to have these discussions. I'm not minimizing what I did at all. Um, but, you know, in AA, there's a statement. If you got a gun in one hand and a bottle in the other, take the drink. In other words, when you get to the point when you're so utterly desperate and you can't see maybe even God for hope, uh, and people can get there. And, you know, I know there could be a self-righteous Christian that can't get that. They go, well, you shouldn't get there. Yeah, that's true. You shouldn't. And unfortunately for me, Reuben, Jesus wasn't enough. And that was where I was wrong. I hate that. I hate that that I didn't know how to just sit in my pain. I, I, I just wasn't able to do it. And I caved. Um, but you know what? That's better than taking your life, right? Uh, and 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 in God and his, what was so amazing is contrary to the leadership, the grace that I sensed from the Holy Spirit and from God was unbelievable. Built me back up, gave me a role on pastor's perspective, gave me another church, um, rebuilt my family and showed me why I had that relapse to begin with. But it was the spirit of God that walked me to the core. And I think church leaders should help in that way too. Yeah, I find it I find it funny that instead of saying, hey, let's get you in a treatment, you know, let's let's find, you know, a good treatment center to get you in and, and get you get that part figured out. And then, you know what, once after a couple of weeks, we'll address the body and let them know what's going on, you know, and, mm. you know, like that to me, like if if I, I would like to say that if it were me in the position overseeing, you know, you as a as a as a as a pastor, as an elder or whatever. And you came to me and you said, hey, I, I, I relapsed or it became apparent that you relapsed. I'd come to you and say, hey, listen, let's get you in a treatment center. The body will find out when the body finds out. We're not going to hide it from them, but let's make sure that we can get you in a place where you can start refocusing on sobriety and on your relationship with the Lord. And then we'll do the part that needs to happen because, yes, accountability needs to be there and the body needs Absolutely. to know what's happening with their leadership. But the first thing shouldn't be release a press release, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like, yeah. let's, 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 let's pray. Let's get you in a, in a counseling center. And then, then we'll, we'll address the situation and that I, and I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm sorry that happened to you, man. I know on the other side of it, you know, God's, God's goodness ends up prevailing no matter what, but, yeah. I, but I'm still sorry you had to go through that, dude. No, thanks bro. I mean, yeah, it, it just helped me to want to be more empathetic and compassionate to people. And I suppose too, Ruben, I mean, there are certain things, right, that you have to act more quickly on. Um, you know, uh, if you had somebody involved like in pedophilia inside the church and that was going on, I mean, that warrants a quick response. You could still love the person and let them know, but hey, that warrants a quicker response. Um, I, I think that when you're a lead pastor, you can't be quiet for too long. I mean, you got to have some kind of a message. The big thing for me is I just wanted to be a be the one to share with the body kind of like what i did with you hey here's what's went down let me share what's going on and the the big pain came is i was told that i was going to be a part of that process but i was empty nesting our daughter in california and they made the announcement and i was supposed to be there and oh, so see, then when the worse. announcement was made yeah and and they weren't and they didn't say what i did they said you know Bobby slipped back into some of his old ways. But what does that mean? I mean, Bobby was totally promiscuous before the Lord got a hold of me. Uh, so I had people wondering if I had, I was, there was rumors going around that I had an affair. Uh, is he sniffing lines? 
uh, and all that. And so it was hard enough to have to deal with the truth, but because it was so poorly handled, uh, I would have just said what happened. Right. So that, that was what was hard, you know, like, Hey, yeah, there wasn't an affair. It wasn't like I was out trying to, I wasn't drinking and sitting in bars and looking for anything. I, I was just really, really hurting. And there was a lot of reasons uh, there was a lot of hurt going on. We were watching our son go through a ton of depression. Um, and as a father, just to watch that, uh, it, it was agonizing. I mean, he was very, very empty. Uh, and that was hard for me. Um, you know, I was doubting my faith at times. And that was hard. And I just think sometimes we... You know, I love the book of Jude where it says, be merciful to those who doubt. Uh, I think that sometimes we make people feel shame. And maybe one of the reasons people don't talk about their doubts in the church is because they don't feel safe. Um, and and we use language. I was speaking this past weekend on the topic of divorce, Ruben, to the church. And I said, you know, I mean, I, I said, I want to teach this message in such a way that that you absolutely feel loved by me if you've had a divorce. Um, and then, but you also feel like I didn't compromise what the word would say Damn. in this moment. And I was like, that's kind of what I'm trying to put together here. Uh, but the the fact is, is life is messy for people and life hurts for people. And, and we just need to be more empathetic. And sometimes what we do is, oh, this person's going through a divorce. Let's church discipline them. And I said, I don't like the term church discipline. And I said, the reason why is I don't think it promotes transparency. And I like church restoration because if I blow it and I know I've got a leadership team that wants to restore me, man, I'll feel a lot more safe. But if you just want to discipline me, I don't like the term um, even as much. I think, and I think we need this stuff like God disciplines those he loves. I'm not saying we don't need it. I'm just saying we have to recognize we want to create a safe culture. So when I think about like accountability partners, man, what I really want is a friend that's it's bigger than I don't just want to meet with somebody that's asking me how my thought life is. I want somebody that loves me and uh, wants to know what books I'm reading and wants to know what movies I like and wants to know uh, what keeps me up at night and what I'm dreaming about and how's my thought life. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like sometimes, again, it's just let's make sure your morals are good. Let's make sure you're disciplined if they're not. Let's make sure we let everybody know. And we miss the fact that the church is a hospital for sick people and all of us are diseased. And I think sometimes people feel like they're the ones walking around inoculating everybody and have it all figured out. And the sooner we realize that we're all just a moral mess in need of a gospel that cleans us up, the better off the church will be. Yeah, man, I can't, I can't agree with you anymore. I, I feel like if we were, if we were in the church service right now, there'd be some keyboard going on in the background and some people <laughs> saying "Amen, Pastor" in the background because <laughs> that was, that was an "Amen" moment. Uh, I, I know we're we're short on time here, and, and I wish that we had more time to talk about uh, your YouTube channel that you're what you're going through uh, the next phase of it. Uh, but tell me more about Christianity still makes sense because I, I love, I love that, and I love what you what your plans are. So please tell us more about about that YouTube channel and what you're going to be doing there. Yeah, so One Minute Apologist went through a rebranding. And so I we still offer um, two shorts a week. And so under the umbrella of Christianity Still Makes Sense, we offer two One Minute Apologist short videos. So we kept it in that fashion. But Christianity Still Makes Sense uh, makes sense of my ministry better in a broader way because I do more than just short videos. So everything kind of falls under that umbrella. 
um, be it my teaching ministry, the books that I've written, uh, you know, pastor's perspective. We're just trying to make sense of people's questions. So really that's, that is my heartbeat. I just want to say that Christianity still makes sense. I mean, people have objections um, uh, and we're confused at times about, you know, our belief uh, because of pluralism and all the different competing ideas in the internet. We need to talk about these things, uh, but there is a way forward in this time for the church and doubt's not a Christian problem. It's a human problem in the absence of certainty, there's always going to be room for doubt. The question is, which worldview best closes the doubt gap? And I think Christianity makes best sense of the cumulative case, pound for pound, against any other worldview. That's not to say we don't have some difficulties. That's not to say that there's things that don't make sense to me at times, uh, like the bizarre some, some of the bizarre things in the Bible. But pound for pound, putting it all together, I think Christianity can make sense of things better uh, than atheism. For example, atheism, how do they make sense of free will, near-death experiences, consciousness, um, uh, objective morality, uh, how the universe uh, came here? Well, I think that Christianity can make sense of objective morality, free will, consciousness, near-death experiences, and the universe came in existence from God. So there's some areas that, you know, well, okay, you don't have some of these weird miracle pieces taking place on atheism, uh, but Christianity you do, but then if you admit God, then miracles are possible. You know, on atheism, you know, you struggle with the fact that, well, why doesn't, uh, or they struggle with Christians because God doesn't intervene if he's a just God right away. But on atheism, you have no ultimate justice for people like Pol Pot, uh, Mussolini. Uh, they get away with it because there's no ultimate justice. So that pound for pound thing, we try to show that Christianity still makes sense. And so we've got, the, the podcast for that, that people can subscribe to, Christianity Still Makes Sense. They can subscribe to the YouTube channel. They can go to the website, ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. And I've got a book that's already written with Tyndale Publishers that comes out in April 2024. So it's quite a ways off. And there'll be a small group curriculum that's designed to go along with it to help the church get into a conversation about why Christianity Still Makes Sense to help those who are deconstructing. So I want to help those deconstructing and with doubts to, to stay in there, to hang in there. And I want to equip the church to not go that route either. That's the goal. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate the work that you're doing, man. Lord, Lord bless you, man. I, I, I love, I love Thanks, seeing Ruben. everything that's going on there. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you on, on social media, man. And, and you got to come back at some point. Yes, you bet. Would love to. Uh, so um, they can go to, uh, you know, Christianity still makes sense.com for the website. Uh, the YouTube channels, Christianity still makes sense. Uh, the podcast, as I said, Christianity still makes sense. I don't know, uh, isn't this terrible? Shows how good I am at Instagram. Uh, what my YouTube handle is. I think it's like at Dr. Bobby Conway or something. My teammate set that up my Facebook. I think it's the same thing at Dr. Bobby Conway, but if they type my name in Christianity still makes sense, uh, they'll discover that and help. I'd love for them to follow what we do. I'll put the links in the description of the podcast. That way people can find you uh, a little bit easier thanks, as well. Uh, Bobby, thanks so much. Appreciate, appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you, Ruben. God bless you, bro. You too.